Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Hey gardening friends, great to be here with you on a very beautiful February morning. We're all ready to go. When you call in, you'll be speaking to the gorgeous Bev Daring and our garden researcher and garden chef extraordinaire, John Glidden, is also standing by. Now, if you like, you can email us at by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. The lines are open, 94841927. Big shout out to the boys, Chris Bartlett, Mark Carlton and Jim Crinan for a cracker morning, as always. And I always like to thank Chris very much for setting us up with that little bit of a changeover when the news is on. It's a bit of a mad dash. And uh, Jim, so Chris makes makes it all so much easier. And Jim will return at 10 a.m. with a classic 70s for you. Faye Caro, good morning. Good morning, Ray. The weeks fly. Oh, don't they just? I, yeah, yeah. We were only just here. Yeah, it feels that way. But it's good to be back. And uh, we have so much to talk about this morning. we loads of emails to get through. And uh, we're going to be talking orchids. Bruce Larson is joining us in the studio at 20 to 9. And we're also chatting about fire safety plants and we're talking to an author leslie corbelt aren't we at, at 20 past nine i look forward to that corbett, corbett. leslie corbett yeah, yeah yeah what did i say oh that i'm corbett. just clarifying sorry well thank you Faye. and uh yes so she's going to give us a a, a, a rundown and and i think shake out a few myths from what you're telling me Faye, mm, as I well think so. and misinformation so that is going to be very important to listen to now i've got that schedule for 20 past nine is that correct that is correct okay, yes beautiful all right so nine four eight four one nine two seven don't forget sometime this morning we'll be giving away our 75 dollar gift voucher to the fabulous bigger trees as well so tell me about your week. Well, it sounds like you've done nothing but gardening, and I'm oh, jealous. Jealous. No, I've I've gardened as much as I could in between everything else, but I did give it a good shake this week. You gave week, it right? a good shake, yes. <laughs> um, but before I tell you about my week, uh, let's try and get to a different demographic this morning, Ray. Right, I'm all ears. <laughs> I'm all ears. Well. I have very young I have some listeners out there and for those listeners this is Nana on the radio giving a shout out to a very special young lady who turns five today. Yes. My beautiful granddaughter Aravis is having a birthday today. So I guess they're all gathered round thinking to themselves, that sounds like Nana. Coming over the radio. It is, Nana, <laughs> I can assure you. So I hope you've had a wonderful morning, Aravis, with your brother Nate and sisters Lily and Brooke. 
And mum and dad have spoilt you with lots of presents. And I think Pop's taking you shopping to buy you some new shoes today. Oh, wow. Because that's what he does. He does, doesn't he? And so what are you guys going to be doing later Well, on? we will have lunch somewhere today, I think. Oh. And then in a couple of weeks, we're having a party. Okay. Mm. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Well, happy birthday, gorgeous Aravis. She is a sweetheart too. She is. Oh, and she's at full-time pre-primary now, so... Crikey, does that knock the wind out of ourselves a little bit? Yeah, it's very it's tiring. A lot. It's very tiring mm. to begin with for them. It's a big, massive adjustment. And have you brainwashed her into becoming a gardener? Oh, working she, she's a pops girl. So she puts a high-vis vest on and she goes down to the workshop. Oh, and she's she a mechanic. Tat. She's a mechanic. Yeah, she got a scooter up there and she got the spanner and she started tightening up the nuts on it. I see. But yeah, she loves she loves the pop, you know. She like, does. She's mm. she's his girl. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, let's head out to the lines. We're talking about oh yes, a book leaf conifer. So we're chatting to Lynn from Hamilton Hill. Lynn, good morning. Good morning. Hi Lynn, how can we help you? Well, we've got a very mature book leaf conifer that looks a bit ugly because you've just got your brown stems and then all the foliage is right at the tips blowing around. Mm. Can I prune it? They they don't respond that well to pruning, unfortunately. I'm guessing it's probably quite old. It is at least 30 years. Mm. Oh, Do you love it? Well, yes, but it's looking ugly. Mm. The the most you could do is just take the outside tips off. I don't think you'll be able to encourage any new growth where it's growing from the trunk. Um, okay. I think, I suspect that it may have a use-by date. And so just give it a light trim, see what it does, but probably be prepared for new opportunities, Lynn. Okay. Thanks anyway. Okay. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. And let's go to Ocean Reef. Tito, I hope I've spelt that right. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I'm from Ocean Reef. Yes. Uh, uh, Hibiscuits, uh, they're all doing very well. But uh, a lot of them, before it's been uh, in big flowers, the buds drop off. Mm, it's I a common problem. When you touch the uh, branches or something like that, when I'm sort of sweeping around the pool area, they seem to drop off. They're still growing very well, so just wondering what's happening. Um, the, possibly a lack of trace elements. Um, ocean reef, your soil is, is sandy and alkaline, so lack of moisture or over-fertilising can also affect... Yeah, we, we water with the bore water. Does that make any difference or...? Uh, bore water will vary across Perth as to what what the pH is. I, I wouldn't worry too much, but what you can do is make sure that you've got something in the soil, good addition to the soil that helps moisture and nutrient mm-hmm. holding. So adding adding some clay and topping up with mulch, using a slow or controlled release fertilizer, and using something organic, probably in the cooler months like autumn, winter, and that will help build up your soil, 
All right. And yeah. that's the best results that you can hope for. And I'll... and you will get a certain amount of bud bud drop depending on what the tree can handle. And that's also temperature related. Like when we get a lot of hot weather, it's it can be quite a shock to the bush. It can cause yellowing and it can cause bud drop. And of course, okay. yesterday we had terrible it winds was as well. It was awful. Mm. Yeah, we get a fair bit of rim and ocean reefs. So. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. And one quick question. Uh, with the jasmine, um, what fertilizer would be the best? I would use the soil of ocean reef. Yeah, I would use the same, a controlled release fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye. 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 And Let's Talk Gardening is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery and a free bag of your product when buying six bags or more. Carry on. Oh, stop. That's me. <laughs> it's all right. It's like a train wreck in here at the moment. I've got papers <laughs> flying in all directions. Carry oh, on. That's what happened to me. I, I had my pile of papers from last week, Ray, oh. and when I got up this morning to just check what I might have missed, the wind had come through the window and blown oh. everything off my bookstand and oh. I just looked at the room and went, mm, okay, we'll come back to come that. Come back to anyway, that. Anyway, John supplied me with a heap of new emails. Sure so has. we'll get cracking on these. We better. Now, we've got plant ID, we've got pests, we've got, we've got the funguses lot. and maintenance. Mm. So we'll start off with this one, a desert rose, which is in a pot. It gets lots of flowers, but quite a few of the flowers don't fully open. They seem to shrivel and rot. The bush is in full sun for most of the day and it gets a splash of water. Should I give it more or less? I pull the pot under cover in winter so it doesn't get too much water. Many thanks for a great show, Jan. Should I give it fertiliser? I usually give it sulphate of potash. Well, Jan, what I can see, it's sitting quite low in the pot yeah. and it it doesn't look to be a, a specialist potting mix. I'm, I'm only looking at a photo, yeah. but I would be looking for something that's a bit more open than your normal premium potting mix, something that might have some little rocks in it. Now, you could add rocks of your own or you could even add perlite. So that will make a lighter, free-draining mix. And I would also add, once again, the slow-release fertiliser for flowering plants. Mix up your own in a barrow and repot higher in a pot. I think that'll give you the drainage and also the the fertiliser that you use. Look for something that's got a huge range of trace elements in it mm. because it might just be one little thing that it's lacking. Missing. And it must be in full sun, lots of sun for a desert rose, yeah. of course. And, and water sparingly. They don't yeah. need a lot of water at all. And I have read with the Adeniums that they like to take their water from a dish underneath. They like to take it up from the base. So watering instead of watering over the yeah. top water from the bottom yeah. but don't leave it sitting no. in water no, let it take where it, it can actually rot mm. so yeah it's it's all about the roots a more open mix and getting that plant higher in the pot i'm just having a read actually as we're talking and uh, it's also mentioning to use a phosphorus rich fertilizer or bone meal Assist with okay. flowers opening as well, but you've covered that in any case. So. Yeah. So she had given it the sulfate of potash. Yeah. But 
you know, I like something right across the mm. board because sulfate of potash will help with the flowering. Yeah. But the plant still needs everything else. And yeah. that's why I go with the slow release for flowering plants. Yeah, because you're covering it, your bases. It's got everything. You then can liquid feed it with power feed or something to and give it an extra it. boost. Boost, yeah. But you want that background. If you mm. take your eye off the ball and forget about it, you know it's got something. Yeah. So, yeah, love those slow-release fertilisers. Yeah, I must say I have a beautiful desert rose at home and it's just flowering prolifically at the moment. And Not how to make tall anyone is it? jealous. Oh, it's probably at least three... Three foot or a wow. meter. I better stop. I better stop speaking in feet. <laughs> I still I swap from feet to meters, but it's at least it's a tall one. Yeah. Wow. Sounds yeah. fantastic, right? It's, it's 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 lovely. It really is. It's uh, very uh, bright, and uh, this time of the year they're just flowering like mad. Fantastic. Now Ray has picked up some pots at a swap meet and Not would me. like mm-hmm. no a different Ray. Another Ray um, would like an identification on them. So. One is a succulent uh, called Crassula, and we did feature mm. this some time back. It's got uh, leaves that look like a link chain, like a gold chain. Mm-hmm. Green succulent, very hardy, a bit a bit rangy. That will take quite a lot of sunlight. Grows quite like the Ripsalis, so green and yeah, doesn't require a lot. So that will look lovely. When it's um, when it grows and just once again a slow release fertilizer in the pot, maybe repot it into an epiphyte mix. Yeah. Um, which is, I'll explain that in a minute. The other plant is a bromeliad mm. and it's clumped in a pot. Looks like it's in a normal potting mix once again. This is a neerogelia, so a bromeliad. That has little flowers in the centre. Mm-hmm. And so to water these, all you have to do is fill up the centre probably once, maybe twice a week. Mm. They're pretty hardy. Now, I think these can look better if they're divided and potted individually. And you would get at least six plants out of that. Now, the potting mix I would use would be a bit more open. You can use just your premium potting mix. But you could also add some bark, throw in some extra slow-release fertiliser, maybe a bit of perlite Mm. um, because these plants don't use their roots as much as they they take nutrients from the air. And you can pop these into the fork of a tree, tie them Mm. up, and they will cascade down. Magnificent. So look fantastic in a tropical garden. And they like a lot of light to colour up their leaves. Mm. Yes, Yes, but but not direct light. Uh, it depends on the bromeliad. But, but this, this is a hard thing I find with yes. bromeliads, knowing which is which. Yes, like most plants. So and when, what it what it requires. When you buy it, you need to ask mm. what sort of conditions it's been kept in, and I often move things around to trial things. So I've probably yeah. got a dozen plants that are in full sun under a clear patio, mm. and they're the tougher of the ones they're not burning yeah so i water them i give them water about once a week yeah fill their little Um, wells up but that is like the ecmia blanchettiana which is a a stunning lime greeny gold like our board here which i adore oh i know i've seen that one you've got that in the garden yes and they just survive and yeah they're show stoppers yeah and 
one of the plants is actually turning a, a reddish orange colour. Oh so word. vibrant. Yeah, mm. yeah, they are magnificent. And with it, when you have a bromeliad in a pot, you obviously fill the water well. Do you fill the base of the, what the bromeliad is planted into? Do you actually water that? I give it a splash, just a not bit of, yeah. Yeah, because they like humidity. So, yeah, so clumping them all it. together, mm. um, and at the moment I've got my elephants here, the Zarian, with bromeliads clustered all around the base. So I just give them a splash of water into mm. their vase, and that helps humidity. So it helps a lot of those indoor foliage plants mm. uh, that we tend to be buying at the moment because they're just so cheap and they're just everywhere Gorgeous. and they're so different so yeah. we need them all we ne- we must have them okay 94841927 curtain radio 23 minutes after 8, you are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye. 94841927 is our number. Now we will carry on with our next email. We shall, Ray. And this has come in from Robin of Kingsley. Yes. Who has a cousin who has a male and a female ponytail plant in flower. Mm, And, of course, the females are the pink ones, so that's easy to remember. And uh, Robin would like to know how to propagate the seed. They will grow very easily. But only the the female plants will produce the seeds. So Mm. there's a little tip. Uh, They will germinate readily if soaked overnight in water. But you can also scarify them. So that's getting the seed and just giving it a gentle rub on sandpaper to break the seed coat. Okay. And that helps. That will help. Yep. Okay. Seeds are amazing. No, seeds are amazing because they have this enormous amount of energy that the, they the conditions when they're right to break dormancy will just mm, burst and mm. they'll put up a shoot and put down a root they don't need any food they just really need an anchor so once they get growing and we feed them then of course we get much more growth yeah away they go mm. yes nature is wonderful it certainly is Pamela from Morley has sent us in a photo of a gorgeous, uh, a greyish Westringia up against a fence with little rubies in front. Oh, and she'd like to know if the Westringia needs a bit of a prune. Uh, Not sure if it's affecting the little ruby by looming over it. It certainly is, Pamela. And if you let it go, it will take over. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about. Remember who the heroes are in the garden. And, mm. of course, to me, the little ruby here is a hero. They, they're just a stunning, stunning colour. Color. They like a little bit of a trim. Yeah, uh, in, in winter. If you've got mm. a few hedges, I would highly recommend the battery-operated hedge trimmers. Oh, yes. They're very easy to use. And all you do is just whip along the, the path edge here and trim it up, make it nice and square, and... Do the same with that with Stringier and kind of do it sooner rather than later. Like the best time to trim your hedges is when you plant them because if you leave it three years and then you go, oh, I want to get this back Mm. into shape. And, of course, if you want to encourage plants to grow, Mm. give them a little hedge or trim and they will. But you need to do it sooner rather than later when it's not too hot. Yeah, Mm. for sure. But that that will look stunning. Mm, Lovely plant colour combination. It is greys mm. and burgundies always. Yeah, two of my two of my favourite um, combos. 
And I like to throw a splash of lime green in there as well. Oh. This is pretty. So what would you use for lime green? Oh, thank you, Faye. Uh, I, I, well, you've got some beautiful lamandras in those mm. colours and that would fit in beautifully with, with that. And also a nandina. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. probably not the right foliage contrast, whereas the lamandra, the lime green or mm, lime tough. Lime tough. There's a miniature one which I really like um, because it, I, I originally had the, the lime tough when it very first came out and mine got huge. And honestly, they got into the ground where it would take, you know, 10 men to be able to mm. dig them out. They were serious. And so I've got the dwarf varieties at home and they are much more manageable. And uh, in a smaller garden, of course, I mean, you could have the other lime tufts, but gee, they got they got mm. massive uh, with water, of course. And they were sitting around my roses and they were just a little bit too big. But it depends on the position, of course. It depends on your room, your space. Exactly. Yeah, but I, that's what I go for. Uh, I, I adore strappy plants. Anyone that knows me knows that. And anything grassy, ornamental grasses are my favourites. Oh. Mm. Well, I'm excited to say that we're coming to your garden for a committee meeting with the Perth Garden well, Club. Well, it's funny because it's going to be in the middle of winter, so I was thinking about that. And it's not going to look too great, is it? Because it I goes into it, dormancy. No, I think it will. I think June is a fantastic time mm. to have a garden open because there is actually a lot. You've got, well, you've got all your background colour and you can do splashes of annuals if you want to boost it you'd have and to, it's not yeah. hard there's a lot of my know. stuff a lot of my what i've got in my garden does uh, is dormant during winter and it's looking quite active right now actually i have to say uh we've had a quite a mild summer fingers crossed so mm. far and the gardens are thriving and plants are just I banging know. on banging on growth it's just incredible yep. out there the worst mm. thing about winter is going to be weeds but yeah. if you tackle that that early and mm. keep on top of them and mulch mm. then you can have a really nice winter garden winter garden and, yeah and it doesn't get really cold until sort of august mm. july, july august mm -hmm. but we love the rain so oh, if we you've done it. your work by then oh you thanks just... Faye. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. I'm a working girl. I know. Um, okay, now I'm just reading a message. Uh, but well, the... I'll read an email. Okay, carry okay. On. So, Raf has sent in a photo of a poor, unhappy mango, which is such a shame because around Perth at the moment they're putting on this beautiful flush of new red growth, and um, but this looks like it's it's brown, it's yellow. It's it's burnt and it's hungry. Um, it's just really unhappy. I'd like to know what's going on with the soil. Certainly the leaves look like they're drying out, but they look like they're burnt. I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, got a fungal problem. And what you need to try and do, fungal problems will thrive in warm or cool, humid conditions. So to the best of your ability, avoid overhead watering and water from the base. Products that you could use to counter that would be uh, eco-fungicide, which of course is organic certified. But even a, a Yates or something like anti-rot or liquid copper would help this. Have a look at your soil and see what's going on. I can see lavender growing close by. Uh, once again, the controlled release fertilizer as as a background feed. 
um, and maybe do a soil pH test. So it's it's very hungry. It's very yellow. Oh, it's terrible. Mm. I know. I had a look. So mm. there's a couple of problems. And check check water. Mm. Um, for a tree like this, a couple of good soakings a week, mm. good solid soakings okay, would so be when, beneficial. Yeah. So if you've gone light on your watering and it's only getting watered twice a week, mm. it's not enough. Mm. Trees like this that are supporting fruit need a lot of water. There might also be some competition around. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to know without a bit more background. Yeah. Sorry, well. it sounds like a bit of an interrogation, you know, what's happened recently. But you have to, mm. yeah, to, to get to the bottom of the problem. Yeah. And that, and that plant is, yeah, in trouble. And it is a timely reminder to mm. check that your water is working. Put around some catch cups. Yeah, that's a good We've idea. We've talked about that before. Mm. Make sure that the areas are getting 10 mils. Mm. Uh, check for overgrown plants because a lot of things do need to be trimmed back now. Mm. And with the milder weather, it's it's a good time to do it. wish I had a crystal ball to, to see. To know what is coming. Yes. Yeah, you know, we might still get 40 degrees in March, but it'll be different with the sun at a different angle in the sky. This is true. This is true. It'll be a bit harder, actually, because if we do get it, the intense March, temperature, yeah. uh, the plants underneath won't have had the, the chance to toughen up their leaves mm. before the sun comes in at a lower angle and under gets, a canopy. And gets to them, mm. yeah. yeah. There's more, Ray. Oh, there we, is. we have uh, wasps in the garden. Yes. Uh, and these are paper wasps. Yes. They're native to Australia but they're native to the other side of Australia and mm. of course they take material from the garden or from furniture um, to make a papery nest that is the shape of honeycomb. Now they're very prolific. They will hunt caterpillars in your garden to provision their nest. If they're in an area and they're causing a problem particularly if you're entertaining because they can uh, target your guests if Nice. You get too close, mm. yes, sadly. Um, if you do tackle them, do it late in the day, like I mean after the sun has gone, mm. and knock knock the nest off and move it away uh, mm. is probably the kinder thing to do. Um, yeah, they, they can be a problem, but they can be your friend in the garden tackling the caterpillars. But just not, obviously, around areas where people are going to congregate mm. can be dangerous. Mm. Yeah, quite and there a sting. Are, there are different wasps. You know, we've got these beautiful large... Well, in Australia, we don't have hornets, but mm. commonly they're called hornets. So that's where, a bit I remember confusing. growing up, we used to refer yes, to them as hornets. Yes. yes, But these single, the large orange ones mm. are mud-nesting wasps. Mm. And at the moment, we've got them, a pair of them, by the back door and mm. I love watching them. Well, I've got think, mud wasps everywhere at home. Oh, mm. They're, mm. they're amazing. Mm. You know, the way they bring in their mud mm. uh, collected from somewhere in the garden, clay or whatever, and they, they take their water and then they're like a potter if you look closely, the way they're spinning this clay and making their urn-shaped nests mm. or mm. whatever. And then they go off and they find a caterpillar and they bring it back. Mm. Some of the wasps use uh, caterpillars, some use spiders, and they make this intricate 
nesting space. Yeah. It's fascinating. I have them all around my house. So, yes, mm. indeed. Now, and they're so, not nasty, are they? No, Ray? no, they don't bother me. Look, they come in for the water and I watch mm. them, but no, they, they're not a problem at all. Uh, Susan of Bassendine loves the show. Is it okay to talk in feet? Oh, it is okay to talk in feet, Ray. <laughs> it often helps the more mature listeners. Well, that is true, Susan. Thank you for your your comment because I do tend to talk in feet and inches as well. I, That's I, quite yes. okay. I mean, we it was when we were in primary school yeah. that they changed over. That's right. So, so we, we started we, off in we feet. Have, we did. So we, we talk in both mm. <laughs> languages. <laughs> well, it's like yeah. scientific and common names. Exactly. We have to yes. accommodate everybody. All right. So this email comes in from Gail. Very interesting show this morning as usual. So it was from last week. A lot more to learn about gardens and absorbing Saturday mornings are back. Hooray. Uh, Ellen Walker was amazing, talking about bacteria, nematodes, fungi, etc. in the soil. Yeah, she's brilliant. So much to learn. Uh, She's been buying Fuster's organic honey from the supermarket for quite some time and she loves it. Ah, yes, because we we interviewed Mr. Fuster. Yes. Yes. And she said, let's keep WABs healthy and buy our local honey, which is... Absolutely. Yeah, good to hear. She lives in the northern suburbs so we'll definitely visit the Yanship Lavender Farm and next Christmas or birthdays and says what a great place to buy gifts. Absolutely. Now she has a suggestion because we had someone wanting to know about plants suitable um, low plants that would be near a swimming pool so yeah. tolerating drought and coastal conditions with lovely flowers in spring are the conostylus. So yeah. that that would yeah. be a very good one. They're very hardy. Also, she wanted to say that the lady that couldn't describe the name of a plant might have been thinking zygote cactus. Yes. And I did wonder that, but it, also she said it was very big. So mm. I was then thinking maybe um, the cycad, the... Mm. Uh, sago palm for some reason that sort of jumped into my head I'm so curious to know what that plant was Mm. and two gentlemen at the table at dinner on Sunday night were talking about that conversation so to the lady that wasn't sure of the name of the plant please if you do find out let us know send a photo so we can (laughs) Mm. ID it properly we're obviously talking about Gail aren't we yes we are yeah and, yeah, she says thanks for the podcast as she can get to go back and check what she missed. So exactly. lovely. Thanks for all that, Gail. And, and, of course, if you'd like to go to the podcast, because we do have great guests, there is a lot of information week to week. Uh, all you have to do is go to curtainfm.com.au and on the home page, click on Programs, which is up the top. There's a drop-down bar. Choose Let's Talk Gardening, and that's going to take you to where all the podcasts are located, of which I believe there's more than 100 now. Is that right? Mm, there is and There is a lot, and they're getting a lot more views now, which yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. So, And you can scroll up and down and uh, choose your program. Yeah, as I say, there's a little bit of a guide. John puts in who the guests were that day mm. to assist you, and you can go back and have a listen at your leisure. Exactly. Yes, oh, a great resource. So glad we we pushed for that. Yeah, got over that hurdle. Now, Elisa has sent in a photo of some fig tree leaves. Her mother lives in St James, and the fig trees look like they have some form of disease. It could be fungal, but I suspect 
a pest, a small sap-sucking pest. So what you can do, Elisa, is go out with a piece of white paper and just tap on the leaves to see if there's any tiny pests. Once we, we identify what sort of pest or that it is a pest, then we can target a treatment. So mm. something like an eco oil would be a general um, spray that you could use. It's organic certified. Don't use it over 25 degrees though. Um, a lot of scale around on figs at the moment and they're moved around by ants. So if you can manage your ants as well, that will be a help mm. uh, to control the spread. And another one from Helen, she sent in a photo of deformed leaves on a red flowering gum. Now, mm, once again, potentially a small sap-sucking insect, same, same. Go out with a white piece of paper, tap on the leaf and see if anything falls off. Get a magnifying glass as well and just see if you can identify anything. With a gum, uh, if it's actually outside or she says other leaves are deformed, it's growing well outside and gets morning sun. You know, this is a plant that I wouldn't worry about treating a gum tree. I think you'll find that it will grow out of it, but it would be interesting to know exactly what it is causing Absolutely. the problem. Gums are amazing. Aren't and they? they're in full bloom at the Just moment. Just stunning. Absolutely uh, beautiful out there. Okay, we're going to have a short break. When we return, we'll be chatting with Kay from Port Kennedy. And our special guest will be joining us as well, Bruce Larson. We do look forward to seeing Bruce. We haven't seen him for a while. And we're talking orchids this morning. So mm. uh, very popular subject. Curtain Radio. And thank you for joining Let's Talk Gardening this morning. As mentioned before our little break, Bruce Larson has joined us in the studio from the Northern District's Orchid Society. Bruce, great to see you. Yeah, you too, right? It's always a bit of a mad rush. You all set up there, Squire? I am set up. You're good, good? Okay, we (laughs) we shall return in a moment. All right, we're in Port Kennedy. Kay, thanks for waiting. Hi, hi, Ray. Hi, Faye. You've been busy, Faye. Yes, yes. You've been watching me on Facebook, I've haven't you? I've been watching you? your lovey, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Bruce here with us this morning, Kay. Oh, hello, Bruce. How are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Have you got I'm orchids, like Kay? Sorry? Have you got orchids? No, I don't know how to handle them. I don't know how to what to do with them and... I don't have a shade spot, and I'm thinking, oh, no, they can't be the right sort of flower for Kay. <laughs> oh, they're the right sort of flower for everybody. <laughs> oh, okay, then, Bruce. Okay. <laughs> well, how can anyway, we help I'm you? Up to, I'm not saying this will work for everybody, Faye, oh. but I've been putting hot water, boiling hot water and salt all over my weeds in the pavers, and they're gone within three days. Oh, that's good. What sort of weeds have you got, Kay? None oh, there's now. those horrible little flat ones and then those little um, ones that have got a little bit of a spur in them that you, if you walk on them with no shoes on, you get them in your feet. But oh. they're just working. As I said, it may not work for everybody, but it's working for Kay. And within three days, I can go along with my little old uh, screwdriver, pick it up between yes. the, the pavers, out comes with the root and all, and it's gone. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is working for you, Kay. But whew, why didn't I think of it a long time ago? Oh, well, that's good. And it's good to get on top of it now because when those first rains come, they'll go Oh, yeah, but I've never had them in my paving at the back. I've had a few in the front in the drive, but not as many as I've had this year in the back. But we did have a lot of rain. 
But um, it's working and I'm happy, so I had to ring in and tell you, Faye. Well, thank you for sharing, hey? Lovely to hear from you. That's, and you too, and I'll keep listening and I'll keep watching on your on your, on, 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 on your, your house, around the house, with all your goodies that you're doing, my love. And don't work too hard. Oh, can't exactly. Help exactly. But <laughs> thanks, Kay. Thanks. See you, love. Bye. Bye. Yeah, bye. Well, gardening's not for the faint-hearted, really, is it? it no. Is, it is work. It's hard work. And it's not all about gardening. No. You've got to clean up after yourself. <laughs> oh, please. Once I start on things. I was trying to do some watering last night, and whilst I'm doing that, I, I think I better do that, and then I you know, put the hose onto a plant and quickly go and do something else. And one job leads to another, and it takes me a very long time to get through. Well, and I, I only had, have a little garden. I know. Well, I had to a lot of start talking to mm. myself because as I was you know, pottering around shuffling plants, moving things, I'm saying... I need this, I need that, you know, I need a bigger mm, pot, I need yeah, fertiliser for this, I yeah. need potting mix for that. And then I found I was creating these shopping lists. So I yeah. kept saying to myself, "You use it up, wear it out, make it do mm. or do with that. And I just went through everything using up as much as I could as before I took that leap to the next stage. But having talked to Bruce, I've been shopping I've got four cymbidiums that need potting on. I do actually need two more pots <laughs> because I need to go the next size up. Do you buy a special pot for the cymbidiums? Uh, I haven't in the past, but I will now because I want the shade house to look good. Yep. Yeah, they'll grow in most pots anyway. Yeah. Cymbidiums are pretty robust and yeah. uh, strong growing characters. So normal gardening pots are fine okay. uh, and mm -hmm. certainly now is a great time of the year to uh, to pot them on i wouldn't break them up just yet no it's too warm potentially although we're having a much milder summer than we certainly did last year yeah but yeah just take them out of the pot and you'll probably find the root system's really strong and healthy just take it out tap the pot off put it into a bigger pot backfill it as it were with some new compost or bark and away they go what I will be looking for in a pot is something that's a bit more stable, something that's got a a broader base because yeah. the symbidium top heavy. Well, they can, they and they're well. One they had blown them. over they this morning, them. and I thought, no, I need something that's a little bit more solid at the base. Yeah, well, the tops uh, pots are all tapered, of course, mm. so they're broader at the top mm. than they are at the base, and that's simply so you can get the plant out of the pot. But yeah, yeah, I mean, symbidium, and again, you don't want to overpot them. No, so you've got to be a little careful in that regard as well. But yeah, just probably what you're looking to do maybe is just add a little bit of um, uh, weight at the bottom of the pot to help. Yeah. So you could put some broken uh, tiles or Pot, brick pots or that are broken, broken yeah. brick pieces on the bottom or even just get some large coarse stone um, because it's a drainage feature as well. Yes. Adds a little bit of weight to the base. That's a good idea. And cymbidiums, of course, if they're really actively growing, the root mass gets pretty heavy and yeah. probably holds them in place reasonably well in a bit of wind mm, but as okay. you say the top of the cymbidiums if it's growing well it's got a massive leaves and it becomes a bit of a wind barrier so for sure and what sort of potting mix should we be using bruce look there's a whole variety of mm. mixes out there most people are probably familiar with using bark you need a good quality bark uh, that doesn't break down too much that's maybe been treated and maybe not have full of dust and and soft particles mm. so if you do buy some of the product that's on the on the market just sieve it maybe a little bit or look to find a better quality bark that's pretty solid um, bark is one of those products which is organic of course so over time it breaks down 
So a lot of people in the orchid world nowadays use a lot of product which is inorganic. So you're using perlite and polystyrene, maybe even some stone, um, expanded clay, things like that. Oh, I've got that. Um, mm. So that, that works really well. And I've moved most of my orchids away from anything organic for many years now. Um, right. But bark is readily available, so I can understand why people use it. Um, but if you do use it, just be conscious of the fact that um, if you're fertilizing and using a nitrogen-based fertilizer, which you're obviously using to make them grow, it will help it break the bark down a lot quicker. So it then becomes a bit mushy. Mm. Um, it becomes acidic. Um, so this time of the year is a great time to sort of think about throwing some dolomite lime around if you're growing orchids in particular um, in a bark mix. Helps with the pH, gets the pH a bit more neutral so that the root systems will be nice and healthy. Takes away the acidic nature of it. Helps the plant build stronger root systems and uh, becomes a bit more resilient for disease and the like and gives you a better flowering outcome. And and I might add that if you're going to do it at this time of year, which is about the right time, mix it 50-50 with some blood and bone, particularly yeah. for some vidians, and yeah. throw that around. Right back to the shop. Blood and <laughs> bone, yes. Uh, and I guess the other key feature when you're thinking about things like some vidians and orchids in general, most of the orchids that we grow in our own backyards are epiphytic. So they're accustomed to growing on trees and rocks and out in the open air. So if you put it into a mix that's, say, bark, for example, that's broken down after a couple of years, there's no air gaps in there. So it becomes mud or slush, no air, no oxygen. The roots don't survive. So mm. if the roots can't get air like they do in their natural habitat hanging off the side of a tree, mm. as they do in the Kimberleys, for example, mm. with some idioms, they'll die. Mm. So they need air and oxygen getting in there. So using polystyrene or expanded clay, products like that that open it up, perlite, allows the air to come through, allows the sort of um, any loose material to sort of flush through. And the root systems on orchids have been adapted over the years because they're epiphytic. Mm. So when moisture and the like hits it, they absorb it very quickly. So you don't want them sitting in moisture, mm. as we've talked a bit earlier about some of the other plants. So it drains through, takes the air with it, and the air is what actually keeps the plant surviving. Right. Wow. Fabulous information. Brilliant explanation. Thanks, Bruce. All right. We're heading to Quinana. Fred, good morning. Uh, yes, good morning, girls. And I'm enjoying your program, as I always do every uh, Saturday morning. Thank you, now, Fred. Now, my query is, I've planted four Tibicina plants uh, a couple of months ago. Now, three of them are doing reasonably well, but one of them has lost all its leaves. They're in full sun, and I fear I've been water overwatering them. Uh, my query is, if I leave the plant that's lost all its leaves rather than pull it out, uh, is it likely to come back again? It, is it likely to start growing? It might. It might have just gone into shock, Fred. And I'd be surprised to think that you could actually overwater something in summer in Quinana. I can. Yes. <laughs> well, you see, I, I, I was, they're in big, big square pots. And I was watering them morning and evening. And uh, that's why I think maybe, maybe I've overwatered mm. them. But uh, whatever I've read about Tibicinas, in fact, I didn't think they would grow in Western Australia because I know they grow well in Queensland. So uh, I, I'm, I'm just uh, not... I'm tempted to pull it out and start again with the one that's lost its leaves. But uh, that's why I thought I'd just get your advice and see whether it's worth leaving the plant in mm. in the hope it might regenerate. Well, it might. And you know what? If I had a sick 
looking plant, I would just shift it off to the shade house and leave it there with everything else. And if it dies, it dies. Um, but it's shade houses are magic. It's hospital ward, <laughs> um, I call it. Yeah. Mm. You could also yeah. put it out under a tree where it gets reticulation like the rest of the garden, perhaps. Um, and yeah, just put it out of the way. Stop mothering it and just carry on with the others. Yeah, so <laughs> yes, I, I think I might. I think I might be over mothering them. Mm, yeah, <laughs> take, take the less charged, Fred. Yep. All okay. Right. Thank you very much, girl. Thanks for your calls. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. All right, we shall return. One hundred point one FM. And we will be going to the 9am news shortly. You're with Ray and Faye and our special guest in the studio, Bruce Larson. He's our orchid man. So bring your orchid questions on 94841927. Well, Ray, in the break, we've had John come in with another email mm-hmm. and Wendy's having problems with her tomatoes. They produce well to start with, but she says then a disease kills the lower leaves. Have used oh. Mancozeb with a bit of success. What do I spray them with, please? The second photo is a new plants already showing signs of the disease. Um, Fun, okay. all right? Well, okay. One of the things to do when you're growing tomatoes is remove lower leaves. Yeah. Lower leaves that contact the soil can uh, splash, become a bit of a splash. Yeah, fungal. Yeah, uh, fungal. Mm. Yeah. So get rid of those. I would probably stake the bush up, make it tidy and and keep it away from the ground. And whether it is disease, I I can't, I really can't tell. I mean, often with plants, they will get these older leaves dying. So clean it all up and maintain hygiene around the plant. I'd give it some seaweed, uh, controlled release fertilizer, for, for vegetables because it will release quicker and liquid foods. And I think doing all of those things would help. I don't know that it's um, like the, the newer leaves look fine to me mm. and there's fruit there. So I think cleaning up those older ones and giving it a feed might help. Whoa. Oh, my word. We're having a good time in this studio this morning, aren't we? There goes the coffee. There goes Faye's coffee. Thank you. At least it went in the direction away from the panel. I I can Shh, deal with that. Don't tell anyone, Ray. <laughs> All right, I won't. Okay, we're heading to uh, Merriwa and we're chatting with Diane about all hyacinths, which is one of my absolute faves. Hi, Diane. Good morning. Good morning. Last May, I bought a potted hyacinth and it has about three bulbs in it. Yes. And it was flowering and the instructions were when it finished flowering to turn it on its side and put it in the dark. But it doesn't tell me what to do to resurrect <laughs> it or do anything with it. Funny that. I know. And bulbs are one of those funny things because we've got summer bulbs, autumn bulbs, um and spring flowering it gets bulbs. awfully confusing. It does. So yeah. highest sense would be spring flowering. So they'll sort of come to life, I reckon, around autumn, like after the rains start. So if you tipped it up and put it in the garden where it doesn't get retick, then when the rains come, it'll do its thing when it's ready. If you if you give it too much water and it's not growing and the mix stays wet, it can rot. 
So I actually had this conversation with Bev a couple of weeks ago because we bought autumn flowering bulbs last you year. You did. And, and you she, didn't always have success, did you? Well, they can take a year to settle in. Yeah. They can. So, so you can't get immediate results. No. So mm. a couple of weeks ago, she had put them out in the garden. I sort of thought, well, if they're getting retic and they're not quite growing, because I'm waiting for that change, you know. Can it rot them? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So mm. you kind of want to put them out there when it's their time to grow. And mm. that's when there's a change of season. So the nights would get cool, the days would be warm. Uh, we might start to get some rains. Not so autumn. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yes. So I have to wait that long? Well, oh. if they're dormant, you can't bring them out of dormancy. You don't want to bring them out of dormancy until they're ready. Now, we're mm. higher since the ones that we put in the fridge ray. There were two bulbs we put yes, in the fridge. Yes, they do go in the fridge. Yep. I'm pretty so sure. So hyacinths, daffodils, daffodils tulips. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that's what you can do, Diane. So if you want to do something with them, put them in the fridge. <laughs> well, these ones were actually flowering in May because I bought them for my birthday. Um, mm. and, yeah. And I'm afraid um, I'm one of those sad people that... It comes home with me. It either lives or it dies. It doesn't really have a choice. Yes. <laughs> My family are all gardeners, but unfortunately I stood behind the door when they were handing that out. Oh, I don't uh, believe I that. <laughs> well, put put the bulbs in the fridge, give them six weeks, and by then it'll be time to, to put them out and do something with them. <laughs> okay? That's nice. Yes, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Diane. All right. Cheers. Bye. Okay, and we will be going to the news in just a moment. Hyacinths are absolutely just their fragrance, right? The perfume. And, of course, they would have possibly been flowering in May because nurseries just bring things on. I was about to say, it's trickery, isn't it? It's sorcery because uh, things are conditioned and it's not necessarily correct. And we come along as innocent buyers caveat emptor but how do you know it's you know this is a well after eight years of doing the gardening show you know (laughs) (laughs) practice we shall return sunny today with a maximum of 29 and it's already sitting at 20.9 tomorrow it will be 33 and sunny and monday you're looking at a maximum of 36 and sunny and then it's dropping down on tuesday to 32s and starting to drop down a little bit further uh, after that as well. So we'll be in the 20s for the remainder of the week. I hope that is the case. Okay, we shall carry on with the garden show. So, Bruce, what should people be doing at the moment with orchids? Mm. Uh, I think the key thing at the moment uh, is just to keep them protected from potentially some still hot weather to come. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously a much milder summer than last year. So if you had orchids uh, out last year, even under heavily uh, clothed, uh, heavy shade cloth, they probably still burnt because this time last year we probably had 12 days or so over 40 degrees, mm, yeah. whereas we haven't had any yet. But February has the potential to still be hot, sure although does. the forecast is not anything super hot. Um this time of the year just in a good shade house maybe with an extra piece of shade cloth across the top so you're getting about 70 to 80 percent shade um, and just keep fertilizing them so a bit of protection from um, the heat if it gets really hot but make sure you're giving them plenty of fertilizer giving them 
regular watering to keep them growing. So uh, slow-release fertilizers are great to use, any of the other nitrogen bases. And as I mentioned a bit earlier, probably a bit of blood and bone and some uh, dolomite lime at this time of year for those that are growing in, in bark or organic mixes. Um, and just keep a, a watch out for bugs. Ideally, of course, we get lots of good breezes around, so we like the air movement through there to keep them um, growing nicely um, without any fungal infections, which is what happens when you're watering a lot. So that extra water has a tendency to create some fungal stuff. And when to water? When to water is a very good question. So ideally, you want to water first thing in the mornings, epiphyte orchids, mm. so they need to dry out by the evening. Now, if you're getting those really, really hot days where we're up into 40 degrees or even in the high 30s, it doesn't hurt to then throw the sprinklers on late afternoon, five o'clock-ish, cool them down, create some humidity, mm. take the stress out of the plant, and we've still got a couple of hours before we get into the full coolness yeah, of the evening, so they dry out. Mm. Um, and and now, that, of course, emulates monsoonal rains, doesn't yeah, it's it? the tropics. Mm. So a lot of these sort of orchids come from the tropical areas where they get those late afternoon storms. And they're always living in a bit of moisture, so humidity. Perth is pretty dry summer months. Yeah. We get a little bit of humidity, maybe more so than we did in the past. So that helps, but you can create your own humidity. My collection, for example, on those really hot days, I've got a misting system that comes on in the middle of the day and the afternoon, only comes Must on for a minute mm. and just cools the yeah, whole perfect. environment down so the plants are not stressing, yeah. allows them to keep growing. As soon as a plant or an orchid gets to about 32, 33 degrees in temperature, they start to stress or they shut down. Mm -hmm. So they grow in their natural habitat at a temperature range of, let's say, 15 to 18, up to maybe 25 or 30 degrees at the tops. And they sit in that sort of temperate zone, bit of humidity. So if we can create something similar, then we're going to get them to grow at the sort of optimum outcome. And how, how prone are orchids to pests? And which some, pests go after them? Some pests, uh, some orchids more so than others. Right. Um, Cattleyas, which grow really well here in Perth, yeah, we've got a great strong. climate for them. Mm. A little bit subject to that sort of white and mealy bug. How do you deal with that? Yeah, look, you're really forced to sort of look at some uh, some of the commercial products, um, mm. copper-based, sulphur-based products to try and keep that under control. Oh, really? Okay, so some yep. copper? Yeah, I mean, you can try the sort of beneficial bugs, but they do the damage by the time you get the bugs in. Yes. Our collections are so small that by the time they've eaten the little bit of yeah. in insect that you've got, they die off. So yeah. they don't really work, and I've tried that. Um, so you're really re relying on the commercial approach. As Faye was talking a bit earlier, keep the environment a bit clean, so don't allow mm. lots of rubbish around for them mm. to breed into. Mm. Um, and just good air movement, regular spraying, even fungiciding at this time of the year because of the extra water that you're giving them or misting. Mm. Um, and particularly when you've got a lot of new growths coming, which you should have on your orchids at the moment, those new leaves are soft and tender. And I have to tell you that caterpillars and bugs just them. love those nice new tender shoots. Yeah. So keep an eye out, maybe put some snail pellets and uh, other product around, even the rose dust, the old commercial rose dust is good too. Yeah. But yeah, keep an eye out for pests and bugs. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking when you said fungicide, um, one of the products organic crop protectants have is ecofungicide, which is Yep. Potassium bicarbonate. Yep. So a fungicide, but also a bloom booster. Something with yes, a goodie. Yes, absolutely. You know, mm. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, at this time of the year, we're, for orchid growing, we're still just on the edge of still using high nitrogen to keep the plant growing. Okay. 
but in the cooler months come around April or so, you really want to cut back on the high nitrogen and start moving towards more of a potassium. Right. Okay. So you're helping to increase the potential for flowering, better flowering. Mm. All right. And also the plant structure. And um, was I right in thinking February it's time to put Phalaenopsis orchids outside to we've had just started to get some cooler night temperatures, haven't we? we or have. certainly cooler morning. Yep. Have you noticed, Ray? No. <laughs> no, no, I'm not like you, Faye. You and I live on you know, Well, maybe it's planets. that area, but there's a change. Like I was driving through Treby this week and the trees are changing colour. Yeah, yeah I, think we, I think we're in for an early autumn. Uh, well, that's just that would be wonderful. Mm, yeah. I'd be the happiest girl around if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. But your phalaenopsis certainly do need to... You could actually be growing your phalaenopsis outside on the back patio or under a shade house. He can live there quite happily. Yeah, this time mm. of the year um, through summer where they get a bit more maybe humidity and a bit more air movement, uh, plenty of fertiliser to keep them growing. Uh, so one of the things with phalaenopsis is that they don't have a pseudobulb like the cymbidiums, which we're familiar with. They have a big bulb and that's like a water reservoir. So in the sort of peak summer periods, they've actually got a little bit to draw on if they don't get water on every day. Phalaenopsis have big leaves and lots of roots, so mm. you need to keep the water up to them without overwatering them. So having them outside during the warmer months where they might get watered every day is a good thing, helps to create humidity. Add the fertiliser in there as well. But as Faye said, as you now come in towards March and certainly April, where the night temperatures really do start to drop, that's a great time to have them outside. The cooler nights initiates the flower spikes. So you need a, a temperature differential, a temperature drop, like a lot of orchids do, to actually initiate the flower spikes. Then once you see the phalaenopsis with a flower spike emerging, rip it back inside and give it some protection from the cooler evenings yeah. coming through for Protect the winter months. Flowers. So Wonderful if, advice. Sure is. So for those of us who've bought the plants because they've been in flower and you bring them in and enjoy them and then they've stopped flowering, they get shifted to the back of the shade house, they're still in the pot that we bought them in, yeah. it's clear, uh, their, their roots are climbing Gilded out over cut. the edge. Yes. What do we do with them? And, of course, we're talking about the moth orchids. So if mm, people yep. don't know, they've got the big, beautiful saucer disc flower Flowers. petals, haven't they? They have. And you and often see them at the big green shed and places mm. like that. They're very popular there, aren't they? Yeah, they are. To make um, a popular gift. And they're pretty easy to grow inside, as yeah. I said, and then have them outside until the flower spikes evolve. Mm. There's also on the market a lot of, and seeing a lot of them in the last couple of years, what we call the mini fellies. So they've got, they've yeah. got the smaller, smaller flowers, mm. lots of, and lots of flowers. Mm. Um, beautiful when they're in flower, stunning, and they take up a little bit less room. Mm. But once they've actually lost their flowers and they finish up in the back corner, I'd put them outside, especially in the warmer months, uh, put them outside in the shade house, take them out of the pot that they're in, put them into some fresh compost or fresh mix. So these things have been forced grown in commercial operations mm. uh, with all due respect to the way they go about it. They do mm. it for a particular reason. Yeah. And they've got controlled conditions so they can yeah. manipulate them to come into flower any time of the year through their conditions, yes. which is why we can buy them on the shelf yes. all year round. Yes. For us to grow them in a natural environment, which is when you've got them at home, they're going to come into flower spike around the cooler months of April and May and so on, and maybe into winter, and they're going to flower in the spring and in towards late summer. Um, once that's once that's they're finished flowering from the commercial ones, then you want to actually get them acclimatized into your own environment. So repot them 
probably a bit before now, ideally in the springtime or early summer. But if the plant is struggling now, you can still you can still do it now. You could go and buy some sphagnum moss, fresh sphagnum moss uh, from any of the commercial um, nurseries. Um, Soak it up, expand it and then use fresh sphagnum moss. You could mix that with polystyrene or you could mix it with a bit of bark or whatever. Um, And there are some other products on the market, but rather than confuse people, that's a nice simple way. Take off any roots which are brown or soft or mushy. Mm-hmm. Just keep those nice, firm, white, uh, whitish yellow, firm roots, and then just repot it into a bigger pot, and just keep your watering and fertilizer up to it on a regular basis. Have it in a spot where it's getting lots of shade. So Phalaenopsis do like to have a lot more shade than most other orchids, and the reason you can identify that is because the leaves are really wide, yeah. quite broad. Any orchid or plant mm. you see with a broad base leaf means that it needs shade, shade because it's abs- got a broader base in which to absorb the light. Um, the narrow the narrow leaves are those which are tougher and will withstand quite a lot of extra temperature. Someone so, said to me recently, and they're involved in orchid growing, uh, that you can mist the flower and that they absorb the moisture through the flower. Uh, look, um, of one of the old tricks um, in um, to keep the flowers for the going. florists, yeah, yeah, they they would have the particularly yeah. um, cattleyas and uh, phalaenopsis orchids flowers. You would actually give them a very fine mist. You've got to be very careful on the quality of the water that you use to do that. Mm. So if it's got impurities in it, it's going to stain the flower and mark mm-hmm. it. Um, but it will absorb. Um, in fact, there's an old trick that used to be in the florist game where they phalaenopsis flower was sort of looking a bit wilty just set it down into a saucer of water and it would actually revive it to some extent wow i don't know whether people actually do that these days and if you're growing it reasonably well and the plant has been watered on a regular basis uh, the leaves and the flowers will be firm and Mm. not floppy if you see an Mm. orchid with a floppy leaf particularly a phalaenopsis good sign that it hasn't been watered or it needs watering or you've overwatered it and the root system is totally gone, which means you need to repot it, cut the flowers off and start again. It's a fine line we tread. All right, <laughs> we're heading out to Mullaloo. Gail, good morning. Oh, good morning. Can I speak to Bruce, please? Yes, go ahead. Here. Oh, hi. Yeah, listening to um, your interesting talk, every month I go up to, and I've got to say, Easy Grow and Yep. Stay there and end up buying a couple of blooming orchids. But anyway, <laughs> well yeah. done. That's very good. Symbiniums <laughs> and cattleyas. Um, if I'm and I've been doing this for a, quite a few years now. If using um, and I've got to say this again. I know we're on radio. Neutrog liquid and granular. Do you still think you should put a bit of blood and bone in the pots? Uh, yes. Look, it's up to you. Um, it's a personal thing, but I see no problem with putting a little bit of blood and bone into cattleya and cymbidium pots, particularly in the springtime when you've just repotted them or potted them on. And uh-huh. even at this time of the year, it's not a bad idea. Don't get too heavy handed, but mix uh-huh. it with some dolomite lime if you're going to do it right now, because now is a great time to add that little bit of extra dolomite lime and blood and bone. Uh, adds to, to the plant's uh, vigor, allows it to grow but also just um, neutralizes the pH a little bit if you're actually growing them in a bark solution because the high nitrogen fertilizers breaks the bark down and makes it a bit more acidic and you want the pH to be a little bit more neutral so you get a good root system established and it helps the okay. plant in the formation of its the bulbs and the leaf yep. structure and will give you a better flowering outcome. 
Yeah, my, yeah, mine are mostly cymbidiums. Um, I've got a bore, and which I use all the time, which has got a bit of calcium in it. Yep, perfect. And so, so that's okay because I've been doing it a lot of years, and I want more flowers, which I didn't have many last year. So you're saying if the new trog, the liquid and granular, which I've got liquid and the granular, the slow release, still the blood and bone. Why would that? That would just add something extra that I can't get out of those products. products. Mm. Look, Nick, and, it, the, it, and even the dolomite, would that be um, useful as well because I'm using bore water? Yes, it would. I would definitely oh. use the dolomite lime at this time just to sort of help. Oh. You may not necessarily... You may not yeah, need sorry. to put the blood and bone if you're using some of those slow-release fertilisers because the oh, plant okay. has obviously got sufficient in that. Um, but uh -huh. the calcium in the bore water is terrific. Um, but the dolomite lime, I'd certainly think about putting a little bit of that around the cymbidiums at this time of year. And I imagine okay. you're growing them in bark. So I would... Oh, yeah, that, yeah. As the, it's the product. I always buy my big bags from um, Easy Grow. Yep, terrific. Yep, no... It's chuck chuck some dolomite it. lime, just grab handfuls of it and throw it around them. Yep. How often? Oh, look, I just do it the once for now. Um, uh -huh. If you do it about this time of the year and the weather's uh -huh. a bit cooler, so it's a great time to do it, and then just water uh -huh. it in. Uh-huh. And um, the other thing I was going to ask you was um, that um, uh, potting mix from Easy Grow I use, um, would, how long, I was listening to you talk about bark and dust and stuff, how often, because if they don't get, you know, they've got to be tight in the pots, they like to be tight in the pots, yep. how often, how long is the maximum you should leave them in the pot in the bark before you should really repot them in some fresh Gail, we'll have to answer this. We've got to go to a break now. So oh, we we'll, No, that's okay. Thank you for your call. We will come back to this um, later in the show because we've also got an interview to get to. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no okay. problem at all. all right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Thank you, Gail. Bye. And uh, Maria, we know you're there and we will be with you as soon as we can. Curtain Radio. 22 minutes after 9, Jim Crinan will join you at 10am with the classic 70s. Maria, we know you're there. Uh, bear with us. We do have a special guest that we are chatting to at the moment, Leslie Corbett. Now, she's the author of Safer Gardens. We're talking about plant fl flammability, big word, and planning for fire, most important. Leslie, good morning. You're with Ray, Faye and Bruce. Good morning. Thanks so much for inviting me onto your show. Welcome. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, <laughs> what what you've achieved is amazing. Like reading your story, you've been studying and and researching plant flammability for <laughs> ten more than ten years now, and finding that some of the information out there, well, basically shouldn't be trusted. Um, tell us what you have found. Um, well, well I, I, I live in the hills, so this is personal for me. Um, we've had fire come pretty yeah. close several times. Um, and for years I relied on various um, so-called fire retardant lists that I came across in books or on the net. But I started discovering that many of these plants are actually flammable. For instance, Flinders Range Wattle 
ignites quickly and burns fiercely, and yet it was on heaps of lists. And Silver Banksia is also on lots of lists, but Tasmanian researchers found it was one of the most flammable plants they tested. Uh, uh, you know, it's just crazy. Uh, um, I think part of the problem is that um, lists simply cover other unreferenced lists. Most lists don't quote their sources. Um, and yeah. it gets lost in translation, you know. Yes. So um, uh, I turned to um, plant um, flammability um, research papers um, from right around the world and started gathering evidence-based information. Um, yeah, so I mean, initially I was just doing it for me and my friends um, and it, it went on and on. I discovered more and more papers from more and more countries um, and I just thought, oh, look, I've got to get this, this information out to people. People don't realize that you shouldn't trust the, the fire retardant lists. Um, uh, so I've, I've um, every step of the way, I state my sources so that, yeah. you know, if people wanted to, they could go back and read the research papers. Yes. So, Leslie, you said that, they they test them. How how do they test? I know like where we are, we have bonfires every year. So if we're throwing on something, uh, Geraldton wax, for example, that burns very well. It burns quickly, but it's got oils in it. So whoosh, it really does go up. So are they testing prunings or are they testing live trees and mm. in a an actual bushfire area? Uh, look, it totally varies, um, but uh, mostly it's testing done in a laboratory. Oh. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, this this is scientists in, you know, doing this, doing proper research. Um, uh, so, yeah, they use all sorts of things. Um, I can't even remember the names of the machines that they use. Mm. Um, some of them uh, test both green and dry leaf. Uh, so it's usually the leaf. A couple of them um, sample kind of the leaf, the cluster of leaves at the tip. Um, but yeah, mostly it's on the actual leaves. Um, and and look, um, it's it's imperfect, as in there are no set ways of doing the testing. People test at different temperatures. They drive plants out at different um, degrees but you know within each um, research paper the information is all relevant so the thing that burnt the plant that burnt most um, fiercely is the worst one and the one that just hardly even got a flame is pretty good um, so you can actually um, create um, a, a, some sort of um, Oh, a numerical value system for, for you know, how, how far along, you know, whether they're low, moderate or high flammability. And that, that's what I've done. But I've made it quite clear that um, that it is inexact, inexact. And but it's way better than going by lists that, uh, you know, you have no idea where that information is. Oh, exactly. Come. And I guess the teams on the ground, like the firefighters themselves, mm. have... Have their experiences um, culminated in any of this sort of uh, uh, testing and yeah, results? That, 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 
very interesting you say that. So um, New Zealand uh, firefighters, there was a, a study done um, where they were asked to submit a whole lot of answers to questions and it was all put together and plants that um, are in New Zealand and that, that, that included exotics uh, were listed numerically in order of flammability. Um, and um, uh, I've just gone blank. There's an, another, oh, that's right. The other one that was um, based on firefighters was um, a survey of Croatian island firefighters. Right. Um, which also turned up some really helpful information. So this is uh, available as an e-book as well, Leslie. Yeah, that's right. And it's also hopefully available in your library. Fantastic. So what do people know to make the right choices? Like, uh, is it just plant selection or is it styles of plants, um, maintenance, well, garden maintenance? How, how can people make their garden safer? Yeah, um, the, I, I kind of would break that up into to two things. The first is how you, how you assess a plant and whether it um, is likely to have low flammability. So you start off, if, if you've got access to, you know, if it's a plant that's been studied, um, you start off with what they say about um, how readily the leaf ignites. Um, but you also need to check out whether it's got flammable bark uh, whether it accumulates lots of dead material, whether it drops lots of leaves, and if so, in what season and how quickly do they disintegrate? Is it invasive is an important question. Any of mm. us living near bush have got a responsibility to not let plants escape into the bush. Yes. Um, and I'm finding there's a lot of plants scorching in the hot summer sun these days, More, you know, more plants than used to. So um, a diseased or scorched leaf um, will be more flammable than lush than a lush green leaf. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's not going to be able to act as an ember trap in the way that uh, a lush green leaf will be able to. Um, and um, oh, look, one, one thing I wanted to mention quickly was that, that you mentioned about oils in plants. Um, it's not. It's mostly assumed that if a plant is aromatic, it's very flammable, but that's actually it's not the blanket case. It depends which volatile organic compounds are in the leaves. Um, there's a terpene called bornal acetate, for instance, which actually decreases flammability. And I think this is why citrus are able to be used... Um, as a fire belt in Mediterranean countries, um, because I, I presume uh, not very, I, I did not come across very many people who had studied volatile oils. Um, so I don't, I don't know in oranges and lemons and mandarins whether um, what the breakdown of their aromatic oils is. Um, but yeah, it, it does vary a little bit. Um, but then the maintenance. Um, did I say that? Did it? Does it, it needs lots of water? <laughs> that, that's the other. The other thing is that. Um, so you want moist, plump leaves, um, which of course you're not going to get in a drought situation. But in a situation like we've got now, where 
um, you know, we can water our plants twice a week. You need to keep your plants well watered for them to be able to do their job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But maintenance is super important and also um, layout of your garden. I mean, things like protecting your house, you know, if you, if you start at that point, no climbers against eaves. I've seen this so many times, you know, that on wooden structures attached to the eaves, um, climbers by their nature are actually not great for fire. They accumulate a lot of very well aerated dead material. Oh, it's well aerated because it's climbing, you know, so it's got a lot of air around it. Um, and there's lots of rough little edges within the creepers where embers can land and start to sizzle and catch. Yeah. And if that's attached to your house, you know, then then you, you've you've given yeah. it a root into your roof. Sure have. And you don't you don't put plants against house walls. Like the heat of a plant burning can be enough to crack windows. Um, and you also um, need to make sure that. Um, the, well, ideally, that the, a two-meter cleared area around your house, which um, could be, for instance, pavers, um, no trees overhanging your house or your neighbor's house, for that matter. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Do I go on? <laughs> well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. I I can't imagine how deep your head must have gone into these. Yeah. Uh, research papers over 10 years and to then culminate it into an easy-to-read, easy-to-understand book with lists. Wow. So the book is called Safer Gardens and your website is firesafergardens.com. Yeah, and there's one other thing I'll mention. Um, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, um, I don't know what your policy is. Can I mention about what Amazon does with my book? Yes, go ahead. Um, so um, Amazon often has that look inside facility. Yes, great. With my with my book, they allow you to look at the first eight chapters. That's huge. How many chapters in yeah. your book? Oh, look, I actually don't remember, but um, they allow <laughs> you to read up, up until the point where I start listing the individual plants and their flammability. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and, and also my website uh, gives you a, um, a really good overview of what's in the book. Okay, so that's firesafergardens.com uh, for those that would be interested in pursuing uh, this amazing book filled with uh, up-to-date information. You've certainly uh, put so much into it, Leslie, and dedicated yourself. And I think it will be... A, 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 we Living in the where we live here, we all need to be more aware than you've created that for us. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. You're a mine of information, yes. that's for mm. sure. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. Enjoy your weekend. Day. You too. Bye. 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 All right, straight to Middle Swan. Maria, are you there? Hello, Maria. Maria. I think she's still there, but she's probably going to make a call. Oh, hello, Maria. Are you there? (laughs) Oh, yes. Hi, I'm still here. Oh, thank you for waiting. Thank you. Oh, that's all right. No, I was just interested in about the Phalaenopsis orchids. Yeah, when you buy them uh, and um, they've got that sphagnum moss inside of them, Yes. Um, 
I'm just wondering when you repot them, do you take that out because or not, or do you leave it there and just put new potting mix, or you take the roots out? I'd be inclined to remove it, so purchase some new mix altogether. So we're never quite sure how old that uh, sphagnum moss is that the plant's been sitting in. So it's probably a good idea to remove it, check the root system and make sure there's no uh, dead roots in there, they're soft or mushy, remove them. You want the nice firm white or yellowish roots and just put it into some nice fresh uh, sphagnum moss into maybe a slightly bigger pot and let it get going. You still put sphagnum moss back in there, another fresh sphagnum moss. Yeah, ideally, or you could use a bark mix depending on what your preference is. Um, but the sphagnum moss allows it to um, keep a fair bit of moisture uh, without staying wet, providing you don't water it every day. And you probably only need to water it maybe if it's if it's at a stage where you're growing it inside the house. Probably watering it once a week is sufficient. Keep the moist, keep the sphagnum moss just moist. If you're growing it outside, obviously with the extra warmth and uh, the wind, you probably need to water it in this summer period, maybe three times a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking for watering, like I've got one inside, I've killed a couple, but <laughs> I've got another one inside now and it's doing well. It's been there for a couple of years. Okay. And for watering, I usually, what I do is fill up a bucket of water and then dunk it in there for a few minutes and then take it out and put it back in the thing. So yep. is that's that a fine. good way of keep that's fine to water it? Because, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the ways of doing it. So that's a fairly common approach, and that works quite well. Can I just suggest that you make sure you've got some fertiliser in that bucket of water as well? Um, Phalaenopsis are fairly hungry um, and do need to be fed to make them grow and produce the flowers for you. And the Mm. other alternative is, of course, just have it in a watering can and give it a really good drink so the water is flowing right through the bottom of the pot. And then again, just put it back inside. Uh, during the cooler months. In the warmer months, you can obviously grow it outside in a nice protected area. Yeah, okay, I'll give that a try again. <laughs> See how it goes. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, the, the last comment I'd make is if it's in flower, then obviously you want it inside the house. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's at the moment it's not in flower. It's got the spike, but it hasn't got any buds on it. Uh, so. Well done. You're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks, Maria. Bye. And what about seaweed for orchids? Are they... Yeah, look, there's a lot of um, different seaweed products available on the market these days and some really good product. Um, And again, uh, I use it from time to time. Uh, It's a good product. Yeah, uh, it's useful. And can you, with, say, for example, the moth orchids, um, if you had three different colours, could you put them all into one large pot and... Can you do things like that? They Absolutely. You can do yeah. whatever you want, Ray. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to, but it's not always successful, Faye. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing more spectacular than um, yeah. three or four Phalaenopsis Joyful. Uh, in mm. one large pot, all in bloom. Oh, uh, please. It's, yeah. it's okay. fantastic. I, oh, my head is just, yeah. like, inspired. They make wonderful gifts, obviously, or but just to make a wonderful display in a house. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think I'll give away my $75 gift voucher from... Our friends, Bigger Trees, thanks to Kerry at Bigger Trees up there in Pickering Brook. You need to be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Now, we all know Bigger Trees specialise in frangipanis, ornamental and fruit trees, and they have fabulous new stock arriving every week. And 
a lot flowering at the moment, including their frangies, of course. And uh, there was one that I saw on Facebook, on the Bigger Tree Facebook page the other day called Pink Sophie, which really took my eye. Um, it was a soft, gentle pink, and I just found it very elegant, you know, because we go mm. with a lot of frangies. They're very piercing colours, and we love that as well. But every now and then I just saw this beautiful shade of pink, and I thought it was a romantic colour. Pink Sophie, I really, really love that. Uh, they're hibiscus are looking fantastic. Their crepe myrtles are evidently right now spectacular. Mm. They've got some great ranges of bougainvilleas and desert roses. We were talking about those earlier and Mandy Villas, which are always great value in the garden, to name just a few. So I we do recommend a stroll through Bigger Trees Nursery and you can check out online options too at biggertrees.com.au and they do have a great Facebook page. Here is John's question and I picked the evil, easier one for you listeners because some, John's just getting, he's out there, <laughs> he's out there man but this shouldn't be too hard although I, I may not have been able to answer it. Here's the question, in the Cat Stevens song Morning Has Broken, the lyrics say morning has broken like like the first morning and the question is which bird has spoken like the first bird morning has broken like the first morning but the question is which bird has spoken like the first bird nine four eight four one nine two seven we shall return thank you for your company you are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guest in the studio with us today, Bruce Larson, our orchid man. Now, straight back out to the lines. We're in Hillary's. We're talking about growing beans. Richard, hi. Hi. How are you going? Good. How are you? Not badly. I'm on the floor doing my sit-ups. So oh, good I'm boy. Multitasking. <laughs> I am multitasking. Better, better you than us, I have to say. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, How can we help? My question is, I had grown both dwarf beans and climbing beans, um, and they grow beautifully. They get to the stage just before they, the uh, beans form, and, and the leaves, particularly in the climbing beans at the base, go a yellow colour and just die and drop off. Mm. Uh, this is despite making sure they're in the sun, they've got plenty of water, good soil, fertiliser, and I just can't work it out. All right. Uh, it means that they fall apart and I don't get as many beans off them. Right. Richard, what I need you to do is pull up one of the affected plants, put it yeah. on a white piece of paper, get out a magnifying glass and look very, very closely. Okay? Yeah. What I okay. want to rule out is the bean root aphid which oh, okay. uh, we came across at a neighbour's garden a few weeks ago. It is something that we haven't heard of before, but most people won't go looking at their roots. So, you know, that's something mm. you you will also be able to determine what the soil is like. Is it too wet? Uh, is it hydrophobic? Um, what the root development is like or if there are still roots there. So let's rule out that because it does sound like you know what you're doing and this is something else that we have to look for. This has actually been happening for some years because probably at least in the last five years when I've grown beans on and off, I've had this happen. And I've mm. grown them in different spots because I thought it might have been a nematode or something else got on, like they get on, uh, sometimes get on tomatoes, don't they? Mm, okay. Uh, Are you growing anyway. from seed or seedlings? Yes, uh, seeds. 
I buy the seeds and just plant them. All right. So they're new seeds each mm. time? Yes. Okay. And in a different area? Um, maybe try um, also in a in a pot so that you're starting off with a new mix. This was a new mix because what I did was I've actually got them. We have nobody behind us. I'm growing them on a fence and I put in um, new soil all along this fence um, and grew uh, the beans and cucumbers all right. um, up, the, up the fence. Okay. So it's all new, all brand all new. Right. I may have to interrogate you further. Are you able to send us a photo and I can discuss this yeah. over email? We can look at everything. Okay. Shall do. Okay. okay. Thanks, Richard. Right. Okay. Thanks for your help. Okay. Thanks, Rich. Okay. And we have a, another awkward question for you, Bruce, coming through. But we've got a winner, Mel from Les Murdy. Good on you, Mel. Winner of the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. The question was... In the Cat Stevens song, Morning Has Broken, the lyrics say morning has broken like the first morning. The question is, which bird has spoken like the first bird? And the answer is a blackbird. Ah. So congrats, Mel. Uh, that voucher's on its way to you this week. Let us know what you do with it. Yes, mate? I wonder if that's Moonflower Mel, who's, whose husband grew citrus. I just wonder. Okay. Because we've been in contact <laughs> over, over time, some right. time back. Okay, yeah, we'll find out. Okay, let's head to Maida Vale. Lynette, hi. Oh, hello, how are you? Good. Um, I, was, I was just inquiring. I rang up uh, before about a poor man's orchid, or thought it was. And anyway, it's a um, picture of leaf with a stem growing inside the leaf and a flower forming at the tip. And then that flower drops and a new plant shoots. Oh, is this a walking iris? I, I don't, it could be. I don't know. I wouldn't have a clue. And I was just wondering, when do I take the um, new plant off the tip of the tip of the um, leaf? Are uh, you getting? It's on an orchid. What sort of orchid is it? Do you think? I, I'm not too sure. I thought it was a poor man's orchid because someone said it was a poor man's orchid. But um, it's a stem that grows inside the leaf. Yeah, and that's then it flowers at the tip. Yeah, and then it, the the flower drops and um, a new um, um, plant forms. And I'm not just wondering when to dissect the, um, the new plant from the leaf. Okay. What you may be talking about is what we call a kiki. So a lot right, of orchids okay. and particularly um, Australian native orchids in uh, dendrobiums, uh, whether it's speciosums or one of the other varieties, um, they do have a tendency to produce kikis depending if they're getting too much water and that little kiki forms a complete new plant and it tends to happen on the end of the canes or the or the stalk and yep. it can happen at flowering time it can happen any time and if if it is a kiki what will happen is that you just leave it where it is and it'll produce some roots and when the roots get to about uh, 50 millimeters in length you can actually then remove it from the, the stem or the stalk that it's growing on and replant it and produce a new plant. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for that. All right. You're welcome. I hope that's what okay, it is. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, Thanks, bye. Lynette. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. Poor man's orchid. That, that possibly is a name for some other plants, which are not orchids as well. Yeah, I'm not aware of a, a mm. poor man's orchid, um, but mm. most of them are expensive. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you cannot be poor. And we did ask you to follow up an orchid for a listener. Yes, we did. And I hunted high and low and have been unable to find anybody in Western Australia or certainly in the Perth area uh, that is growing those particular orchids um, at the moment, which was called a um, Stanhopia. Mm. So Stanhopias are an orchid that... Um, grows in a hanging basket effectively because it produces its flowers out of the bottom of the basket. Oh, really? Um, so they come from Central America uh, in their natural habitat and the one that this particular person was chasing was a species from uh, that central part of the of We the, always America. want what we can't have. Yeah, and the they, there were a number mm. of Stanhopias that people were growing here in Perth over years. Yeah. Haven't seen one for some years. I've asked around, including mm. some of the big nurseries mm. um, and some of those that specialise in growing uh, species, yes, yes. and I've been unable to find anybody at the moment that actually grows Stanhopias, let alone that particular species. So apologies, we've been unable to get hold we've of that. Tried. But they're an interesting orchid. They do have a large flower. They don't last for a long time, and they can have a nice or a reasonable scent. Mm. Uh, but they, they grow out of a – you can grow them out of a normal hanging basket so where they just – protrude out of the base. Mm. Mm. It it highlights to me, Bruce, the value of people's collections and and yep. how important they are to to keep some of the things alive that we have had for many years because we can't necessarily replace everything that we were able to get twenty even 20 years ago. No, and it's obviously much, much more difficult than it has been or was um, with all of the quarantine regulations mm. and the like, and then also the enormous expense now in just moving orchids uh, around from one country to another, apart from all of the regulations and restrictions yeah, on yeah. doing that. But species orchids in particular, and there's a particular group here in WA that uh, has a strong focus on growing species orchids. And there are collections, of course, with lots of these quality species in them that are probably being lost, and therefore those plants lost as people... Um, become too old to look after their collections or pass on and the families don't know what to do with them yeah. um, and they just don't get looked after and then they die. So mm. we do try and take a lot of effort in trying to pass on those orchids from those collections to other collectors so that we can keep those things um, mm. alive and going well. Yeah, no, yeah, a little you. bit like the a sad story where we had native orchids stolen from Kings Park. I know. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yes, that's been an absolute shocker. Okay, we'll be back shortly. Curtain Radio. Our special guest in the studio with us this morning is Bruce Larson from the Northern Districts Orchid Society. And we have been talking orchids this morning. And what can you tell us about this uh, theft of these uh, very rare orchids that uh, were situated at Kings Park. Yeah, look, I'm not involved, of course, but no. I can only comment on what I can, I've heard what and seen know, and reported yeah. on, of course. But, I mean, it's just a disgusting act by someone with very little intelligence, in my yeah. view. Yeah. The orchids um, are endangered species. The mm. Kings Park people and other botanists have been working for many years now to preserve yes. a lot of these endangered orchids. And just simply taking them from the ground they're not going to survive. They need no. the mycorrhizum or the fungi that lives with them that allows these plants to grow um, and flower. And they 
they're a little bit different for each of the different orchids and all yes, other plants. Specialized. Mm. Uh, they're very specialized and these people have spent four or five years oh, propagating they, these yeah. from seed, mm. growing them on with the view of putting them back into the natural environment. Yes. Because a lot of our native terrestrial orchids, which West Australian orchids are, which means they grow in the ground, and we have 440 odd different species, 80% mm. of which are found nowhere else in the world. And they're all getting endangered because of development and mm. farming and all these sorts of other practices that we've just done as society growing. And when you come across these sort of orchids, which are quite endangered and to have gone through a whole process to get them to regerminate and grow successfully, to have them stolen like that is just absolutely senseless. Yeah. Selfish just stupidity. Yeah. And just to think that they could make some money on the side. And in the reality is that they the, won't plants, survive. the plants won't survive. Well, yeah. they'll, they'll catch them. I certainly hope they do. Yeah. And it'll cost them dearly. Yeah, so. it should. And, mm. and I mean, they can be fined, uh, I think, anywhere up to about two hundred and fifty dollars or $500,000 for these sorts of acts. Mm. And I mean, normal people just uh, walking through the bush looking and admiring our West Australian orchids, I mean, I... If you just pick them up or pluck them, then you're endangering that species. And therefore, I think it's a $50,000 fine if you get caught uh, doing it just around our local areas. So mm. please don't do it. Yeah, thank you very much. And today's garden show is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery and a free bag of your product when buying six bags or more. Okay, you've got a couple of emails there, Faye. We do. And uh, I think it was Maria who wanted to know how often to repot her orchid. That's right. We were talking about before the break uh, about uh, how long before she changed the bark out. Generally, bark um, and those other products will last about two to three years. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't leave it longer than three years. Uh, it's going to break down. It's going to become a soggy mess. You're not going to be able to get the air through the potting mix to enable the plant to grow successfully. So just uh, two to three years, change them out. She also had another point there. She talked about poor flowering with the cymbidiums for last year. And that was because we had a really hot summer. Mm. The plants stressed and very few cymbidiums flowered to the extent that they should have. Hopefully this year, being a much milder summer, cymbidium flowering should be back to its peak. Fantastic. Excellent. And you've got the autumn show coming up on the 7th of May. Sunday the 7th of May, that's going to be at the Bruce Douglas Pavilion, uh, Salisbury Road in Swanview. So we will remind listeners about this closer to the date, but there is an autumn show coming up for the Northern Districts Orchid Society uh, on the 7th of May in Swanview. So, Beautiful. And you're you. at a fair next weekend as we well. We are at so a fair next listeners week. Listeners have been tuned into our, in South Perth, our yeah. sponsor breaks. They will know all about it, where it is, and you will be there. Dates for your diaries, folks. Yep. And we've got a, a potential disease problem. Bruce. Yeah, we've got a picture here from a lady, uh, Gay, who's uh, got some spots on her leaves of the plant. Uh, some of it uh, in the cymbidiums, for example, the leaves do die back naturally. So if you see the leaf going yellow, um, don't be afraid to just simply cut that off. That's the part of the natural process. And a picture here of another one, probably a dendrobium that's got sort of black spots on it. Um, a lot of that comes about because of um, moisture or water on sitting on the leaves, just being on there overnight. I would strongly recommend that you spray with a fungicide. You can remove the leaves, but if it's just spotted and marked and it's not growing, i.e. the black spot is not growing or it's not soft, uh, just leave it. It's fine. 
um, but just make sure that you're starting to spray the collection with a good fungicide, sulfur-based or copper-based, to make sure there's no fungal infections that's going to spread throughout your plant, throughout the, the collection. Yeah, thank you very much. And another email has come in. This is from Carmel, and she's got a very healthy-looking sunshine special plant. Uh, they've given it uh, liver, and the husband fertilises it twice a year. It gets plenty of water. She's pollinated quite a few passion fruit, but the flowers just form and die. So not sure. As long as you're giving it a fertiliser that's designed for flowering and fruiting plants, you've covered that base. If pollination is an issue, plant things around it, plant other plants and herbs that will flower and bring in the bees to help. I've seen blue-banded bees pollinating passion fruit, so... Any blue flowers, you've got borage, lavender, uh, even mints will bring in bees when they're flowering. But uh, other than that, it looks a healthy plant. Perhaps it's just trace elements. Make sure that the water is getting through to the soil, so check the moisture levels and ensure that it's well mulched. Mm. I think that's all you can do. Well, we've had a great morning. We could do an extra hour without... I'm just warming up. I was asked about that last night, actually. (laughs) There you go. It's a challenge. Bruce, thank you so much for today. Your information is priceless. uh, My pleasure. uh, Look forward to having you back on the show again. It's been too long, my friend. And Leslie Corbett was our chat at 20 past nine, and she is the author of a new book just released called Safer Gardens. Uh, I think that's a must read for all of us, actually, uh, to be educate ourselves more about tree flammability. And thanking Bev Daring and John Glidden, of course, we would be nowhere without them. Verna, I hope you got all the information you needed to take care of your moth orchid and help it survive. And Johanna, we have received your email. Uh, my The topic of kangaroo paws and grevilleas to grow is on my list of subjects to cover with a a special guest in the next few weeks. Okay, lovely. And uh, Jim Crinan is next with a classic 70s. He'll take you through to midday. Then we go country with Brendan T and Born in Boots. Enjoy. And my gardenism for the morning is adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Take care, everyone. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.